Hello and welcome once again to Breakfast All Day a la carte. It's an exciting day because not only do I have my guest here, his wife is here, his kids are here, the whole family is here. They're not all going to be interviewed by me, I, although I guess they might want to tell their stories too. They're probably more interesting than I. They're very interesting children that you have, (laughs) um, but you have lived many lives and you have been a hockey player and a comedian and a TV writer and a producer. You do it all. And a lawyer. That's right. You were a lawyer. Um, Your name is Mike Platt. Right. Or do you like Michael Platt better? Michael Platt. And Michael is like your name. Right. Like your official. Well, that's what my mother always Credited name. But I don't think of you as Michael. Well, would you prefer that we all call you Michael? I don't care what you call me. <laughs> We've been calling you the wrong thing all these years. We've as known long you. as the check clears up. <laughs> so we're going to talk about all the many, many lives that you have lived and the things that you have done. And I so appreciate you being here because I know that, did you just go back into production on Grace and Frankie? We did. We just started last uh, Monday. Not into production. It's mm-hmm. the writer's room. Okay. So we'll talk so. about that. So I appreciate you coming down, even though you probably had like six months of hiatus and you were sitting on your ass doing nothing and you crammed us in, in between hockey games today. Oh yeah. I was just doing absolutely nothing. <laughs> you were lying by the pool, mm-hmm. having a margarita. Relaxing in my glamorous life. It is very glamorous being you. Um, <laughs> but I will, before we, we go into telling your stories, um, I will ask you what I ask all my friends, which is how do we know each other? Through hockey, through our kids. Yeah. Right? Our kids played together in hockey. Yes. And how long have your kids played hockey? Four years now. Five yeah. years. Maybe five years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And crazy. your kids are twins. They are. And they just turned 10. They did. Yeah. How, how is that? You have tweens in your house now. What's that like? It's always crazy in my house. They're, uh, they're loving each other or they're killing each other. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's always loud and noisy. And Liz is always chasing them around. And I'm always just trying to get rest. And uh, never happens. And there's a dog in there somewhere, There's a too. dog and a cat. You have total domestic bliss at this That's point. That's right. We have Hank, named after Hendrik Lundqvist. Oh, boy. oh, That's yeah. Right. Your Rangers heroes. That's right. Mm-hmm. And we have uh, Shammy, who is a rescue cat, because Avery really wanted a cat. Oh. And she's great. So it's chaos at all times. Yes. So I take it you don't write at home. And it's pretty hard. Yeah. Yeah, hardly ever. Because it's so noisy there. Right. So awesome. we will eventually get into your process of how you write. But yes, our kids played hockey together in El Segundo at Toyota Sports Center, which is now Toyota Sports Performance Center. Because right. there's this whole stupid other section with like doctors who get better parking at the rink now. Like they set aside like six spots, like perfect spots right in front for the doctors. Yeah, they mimic the uh, the Lakers facility now, basically. Yes, they're more important there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so Nick has played hockey for like three years. He used to be a figure skater in the beginning. Which you began as a figure skater, a too, figure skater. did you not? I, I did. Okay. My sister was a figure skater, and I wanted to do everything she did, and she was five years older than me, so okay. I just tagged along. And my parents said, if you're going to... If you're going to do this, you have to have uh, some lessons and know what you're doing and not bang your head against the uh, ice. Yeah. So I took uh, figure skating. I didn't know hockey existed. But this is in New Jersey, though. This is in uh, the Catskills. Oh, my God. Yeah. You lived in the Catskills when you were no, really little? it's where we were uh, during the summers. Oh, right. Yeah, we would uh, stay in the Catskills during the summers. So I learned, I learned uh, winter sports in the summertime. And so how old were you doing that? Three, I started skating because okay. she was eight. Okay. Yeah. Do you remember it back then? Like I remember all of it. Your earliest yeah. memories of like having skates on your feet and yeah, all that. Yeah, I remember. What I did remember. it feel like? What was it about that that you liked at that early age? It was just fun, something I'd never done before. Being on the ice, I had a great uh, t- 
teacher, John uh, Newsom, who was actually uh, involved in the Olympics mm-hmm. way back in the uh, earlier days. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was a great instructor. He taught me how to skate, and, and I loved it. And, and I loved being with my sister, Sharon. So, so uh, we just hung out all the time. And then at one point, did it occur to you to begin playing hockey? When I went to my first hockey game, I had a cousin who was uh, an agent for a lot of NHL players, and he took me to uh, my first Ranger game, and that was it. I'm like, this exists. This is and a as thing? soon as I saw that, uh, yeah, that was it. That was the end of uh, that was the end of everything but hockey. I was enamored with it. What was it about hockey at that point that you loved? Everything. Everything yeah. was. Um, I like the, there were all these extreme colors. I went with my dad. I remember holding my dad's hand in the Madison Square Garden. Um, just it was a. Big fanfare. The fans were crazy. It was a lot of excitement, a lot of tension. And uh, I just fell for it immediately. I'm like, I can skate, so I can do that. Mm-hmm. And that was it, all looking back. And it probably helped a lot that you had that foundation. I know it helped Nick to have had that figure skating foundation. Huge. Yeah. Huge. Yeah, once you're, once you're stable on your mm-hmm. skates and you're really good at your skating, then the rest of it comes second mm-hmm. nature. So you grew up in New Jersey. Yeah. What town in New Jersey are you from? Um, I was born in Patterson. Okay. Uh, and a suburb of Patterson is Fairlawn, so I lived in Fairlawn. Fairlawn, New Jersey. New Jersey. Yeah, that's where I grew up. What is Fairlawn, New Jersey like when you're a kid? Uh, every town, USA. Just, you know, normal stuff. You know, went out biking, played a lot of street hockey, played a lot of, uh, you know, flag football, a lot of sandlot baseball, Little League. Um, found hockey rinks, you know, played in uh, all... It was very hard to find hockey rinks back then. Really? So yeah, on the East Coast. On the East Coast, but you know, it wasn't that uh, popular. So you know, to find hockey programs, it was really hard. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, travel forty-five minutes in each direction to go to find a rink and get up four o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the morning. Oh, that dad. sucks. Yeah, he was. My dad was in the office at five thirty every morning, and then on Saturdays and Sundays, he had to get up at four o'clock for me. And your dad was a lawyer? Yeah. Okay. So what did he think about having to schlep to the rink at 4 o'clock in the morning well, and, and then it. have a whole day of actual work? He loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Got him away from my mom, which is perfect. <laughs> and then uh, and then we got to hang out, have some bagels or have some breakfast afterwards. And, you know, sometimes I'd have two or three games, so I'd barely have time to – I'd put on skate guards and, in my full outfit and just uh, go from one rink to the next, take off the skate guards and get on the ice. We'd barely make it. So you were not goalieing at this point, clearly. If you're, like, running onto the rink quickly. Right. I wasn't goaltending. Okay. No, not back then. Okay. I, about round 11, I started goaltending. Okay. And what was yeah. it about that that you liked? The same thing I like about writing, just the pressure and the craziness of it and the responsibility of carrying everything on, on me. I just, for some reason, thrived on that. And not everybody has that, as we see with kids <laughs> yeah. going to the rink, you know, every week where there are so much. And, like, some kids really beat themselves up when they, you know, give up the game-winning goal to the other team. They how do, how they did do. you handle that at that age? I loved it. I didn't give up the game-winning goal. <laughs> You're like, because <laughs> I, I sure won. I <laughs> right. Because I won a lot. That was really uh, helpful. Um, I just liked the pressure of it. I liked, you know, the attention. There was a lot of attention there, which also you need as a writer, too. Mm-hmm. So I liked a lot of the attention. I liked... Um, you know, the fact that if my team played poorly, I could help us win. And, uh, you know, my team could bail me out if I wasn't playing so well. Mm-hmm. So the noise, you hear, the noise you hear in the background is our kids playing Minecraft. They are sitting in the same room with each other on their own individual devices playing Minecraft. Right. This is what, like, 
kids do now. Kids these days, although I will say they were out tossing a football around in the backyard before this all began. So there is wholesome outdoor activity to be had. They got three minutes of exercise. No, they were sweaty. They They were were. legitimately exercising. It was very exciting. Um, So as a kid, is the hockey the more influential thing for you or is like the the beginning of of comedy and television more influential for you? Hockey. Okay. That was your life. Hockey hockey was my life. Okay. TV was kind of a... Uh, a side event. TV was my babysitter, mm-hmm. basically, because I grew up with, I think you know about this, we've talked about it. I grew up with a mother who was a little, um, well, she was severely mentally ill. Mm-hmm. And so I was a lot of times just locked in my house and left to my own devices, um, compensating. I had a TV in my room. And uh, I would watch TV and I just learned the, the intonations and the inflections. And I would talk to the TV, back to the TV, and, and uh, it became my comfort. Mm-hmm. You know, it was an escape. It sounds like huge escape. Okay, huge escape, and I picked up on everything. I mean, I learned um, inadvertently. I learned everything I needed to know about writing television and uh, and uh, everything entailed in it. It just seeped into you. Yeah, by my hours and hours and hours <laughs> and hours and hours of everything we tell our kids not to do. Right, and unlike yeah. us saying, you know, how much screen time have you had? Like this was actually a, a good, useful. Well, yeah, I mean, maybe I could have uh, cured cancer if I hadn't <laughs> done that. But no, I, you know, I didn't go to medical school. I did this mm-hmm. instead. So your mom, your mom did not know that you were watching this much TV. There she was, knew. She yeah. just couldn't cope with you know yeah. the other things. You know, she was a great mom and I loved her, but she just couldn't help her. Uh, what she was dealing with. And I recognized that at a really young age for some reason. And I was very sympathetic to that. And, uh, you know, I felt bad for her. I love her, you know, to this day. She's been gone for, for a while now. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, um, you adjust to the world that you, that, that you live in, you know. To you, normal is what you grow up in the house in. And then, and then everything gets weird when you go outside the house. And, you know, you deal with teachers and school and friends. And you have to adjust to that. And and you act the same way that you do in a house. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, oftentimes completely different. You know, you get reactions from your parents by acting a certain way. And it doesn't work when you go out and you do it with your friends. Right. Or with your teachers. You yeah. Know, the, thing, the thing that's normal in your house, you know, then you go to a friend's house to play and you realize, oh, right. other families aren't like this. Right. So, right. Yeah. It's, How old were you when you recognized that something was going on with your mom that wasn't quite... Right. Probably around uh, eight or mm-hmm. so, you know, as I started to get more social at school and I, there were certain things I couldn't do and I was limited and, you know, so I had to, uh, you know, I was kind of siloed from my, uh, from my childhood in certain ways. And kids are resilient, as you say, you know, kids figure things out. You have to, you know, that's the way we're built. I think everybody's built to cope with it in different ways. And, uh, you know, it changed the course of my life, you know, for good and bad. And, uh, and ultimately, I would I would look up back on my life and say I had an amazing childhood, despite everything that uh, that I went through. And my dad was the antithesis of my mom. And he, you know, back in those days, you know, when he was considering staying with her or, or getting divorced, back in those days, you know, divorce wasn't as common a thing. Mm-hmm. And his advice from my grandmother, his mother, was, you know, it's better to have uh, children with a mother than no mother. You know, now I'm sure if under the same circumstances today, everything would have been completely different. Mm-hmm. You know, first of all, there's medicine that could have helped my mom. Mm-hmm. And secondly, had that not happened, um, my father would have done things differently too. Right. But instead, he overcompensated for me. You know, he, I got everything that I wanted. You know, he wanted to make sure I was happy in different ways. And one of the things he did was get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and take right. me all over to hockey. But that was also his enjoyment because it really was an escape from my mom and, and that that binding situation. And it was us two guys bonding together. And some of my best 
moments that I can remember where we're at a rink or in a car to a game or from a game and uh and that's where we got so incredibly close. Yeah. The conversations you had that seemed mundane at the time. They were amazing. The lessons. Even yeah. just like little things, like little things that stuck in my mind when I was six years old. I remember going to a rink and we were, we were going uh, on a highway, that, on, a, on a smaller highway that went from New Jersey to New York. We were going from, because the rink was in New York, in New York State, just showing me that, you know, this, the, the, uh, the pavement changed from a, from a lighter no. to, a, to a darker at the border. And he said, oh, you know, this is where New Jersey stops and at the border. And New York has the responsibility of paving that. Mm-hmm. And they paved it more recently. And so just little things that stick in your head, little conversations that we had all here and there. You probably notice that kind of thing now to this day, right? I, remember, <laughs> I, I notice everything. Everything has taught me. Uh, yeah. I, t- I teach it to my guys, too. That's awesome. I love it, yeah. So these shows that you love that you watched that, you know, through osmosis got into your body, what were they? What was the most influential for you? <sighs> there wasn't one most influential. It was just everything. I would watch everything from Saturday morning cartoons starting at 6 in the morning to every sitcom you can imagine. Um, you know, New York on Channel 11 and Channel 9, um, WPIX and WOR9 mm-hmm. back in the day, you know, they showed reruns of everything. Uh, the Odd Couple was, was a big one, I, I guess. Um, but everything from, you know, reruns of I Love Lucy and Mr. Ed and, you know, to, uh, to uh, you know, the Brady Bunch, you know, all the way up and through. I watched the Brady Bunch too. Yeah. I, I, I like I was so good. Like I could I could know within like the first few seconds which episode it is. Right, you know? exactly. This is the one where Jan pretends she has a boyfriend <laughs> named George Glass or, right, or whatever right, it is. Right. Um, and I look back now and think, oh god, that stuff is so cheesy. But like, yeah. but there is a certain comfort to the familiarity of it, like exactly. the rhythms of it, you know, hearing the theme song. I, yeah, I knew every theme song by heart when I was a kid. And, right, you know. I, and I used to, I mean, we watched TV so much, me and my sister, Sharon. Mm-hmm. I, I had an older sister that I don't talk about as much, mm-hmm. uh, who I'm very close to. Um, but she's completely different. Sharon and I were, were exactly the same. Eileen, who was 10 years older, we were night and day. And she was also out of the house a lot. She was older. She stayed at friends' houses. And, and she got away from it in her own way. And she was off to college, you know, when I was still basically a kid. Um, but Sharon and I used to play, uh, you know, we watched so much TV, we made up a game called commercials because <laughs> yeah, in those days you couldn't fast forward through right. commercials or skip them. So as soon as the commercial came on, if you could name what the, what the product was before, uh, they actually said it on the commercial <laughs> or showed it on the commercial, you get a point. Oh, good. And so, yeah, yeah. So to this day we, I, we played with my guys. <laughs> They were singing the farmers, uh, you know, ba, ba, things like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Nick, we know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. I mean, they know it all, you know. Nick, we listen, I listen to a lot of MSNBC in my uh-huh. car on Sirius XM, so Nick knows all the, like, PatriotSoftware.com. Right. So that's right. where the ads come from because kids zap through ads now. Exactly, exactly. Because yeah. they can. Yeah. No patience for anything. So you're watching TV. At what point when you're a kid do you realize that you're funny? I always knew I was funny. Mm-hmm. I used that as my self-defense mechanism, sure. you know, I, uh, you know, uh, to answer, you know, questions that my kids had about why they couldn't come into my house. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I used it to deflect. Um, you know, I used it to make my mom happy, to make, you know, because she was so sad. You know, I would, I would make her laugh and that would make me feel good. And make it okay know? for a little while. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Because our, re- our relationship was really great. It was just, you know, she, she put a lot on me. And I, she didn't intend it. Mm-hmm. But, you know. So early on, you get the, the immediate sense of satisfaction, that, right. that rush of what it feels like to make somebody else laugh. Right. I just always like jokes. I always like clowning around, mm-hmm. you know, everything made me laugh, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, I started out, started out with the lowest common denominator, fart jokes, <laughs> you know, and, 
you know, all these years later, I still love fart jokes. <laughs> it's, it's a fundamental. It's a right. basic. You can't right. go wrong. Um, so, the, but going into comedy or going into television, but not, not necessarily the path that you initially envisioned for yourself, correct? You wanted not the to be, path at all. Yeah. You I went mean, to law school, right? I went to law school. <laughs> well, you know, I didn't know what to do. I, I never was really goal-oriented. I really wasn't. I had no idea what I wanted to do for a living. I knew I wanted to play hockey. As soon as I realized that that wasn't going to happen professionally. Like in the NHL? Like, like the you NHL. wanted to be a ranger? I wanted to be a ranger. <laughs> I did. And I made it to college. And I was able to play college hockey. And that was fantastic. And that was Bentley College. That was Bentley right? University, yeah. Okay. Um, that worked out great. And, uh, and then after college, because, you know, the interesting about college for me was I never really put anything into it, which I really regret now. But it was my first chance. It was my playground. Because I was so um, constricted growing up that when I got to college, it was just a complete release for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I was able to go out at night and I was able to, you know, come and go as I please. And I was able to, you know, have friends and be social. And I just took advantage of that. You know, I enjoyed uh, socializing. Um, uh, to the detriment of my studies. <laughs> but you can yeah. reinvent yourself, probably. And that was probably very exciting, I would guess. Well, yeah. I mean, I still, again, you know... Um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I, I you know, I, I got my degree. What was your degree um, in? economics. <laughs> That's yeah, weird. I got a Bachelor of Science <laughs> in economics. My father wanted me to get a good education. He knew it was important. Mm-hmm. So I got a Bachelor of Science in economics. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I started in accounting, you know, my first day. And the teacher said, uh, you know, was talking about a debit. And I thought he was mispronouncing debt, you know. <laughs> And when the I found out, silent. I was like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Duh, what kind yeah. of school is this? <laughs> so I was lost after the first hour. I'm like, you know, I got to change that. Uh, but it wasn't a big liberal arts school. So um, I, you know, I hung out and I got through. And, uh, and then uh, I took a year off and tried to figure out what I wanted to do. I just went a couple of different jobs. I, uh, you know, I was pretty lazy and unambitious. Uh, my father's like, you got to get a job. So I went, I remember one day uh, I went, I thought, you know what I'll do? I'll get a job as an ice cream man. That's a fun job. You know? <laughs> I'll, I'll hang out in, in the good humor truck. I'll drive a truck and I'll hand out ice cream. You know, how hard could that be? And I pulled up for an interview <laughs> and I saw that the ice cream men were actually loading the ice cream onto the truck in these heavy boxes. And I'm like, I pulled the Yui and I said, no, <laughs> Screw not, that. Yeah, I'm not going to lift anything. You know, if someone got it into the truck and I could actually eat ice cream and sell something, And just tell jokes and here, have right. some ice cream. Right. Everyone's happy. That'd be easy. But no, as soon as I saw you had to load something, I didn't even pull in for the interview. I just left. Um, <laughs> but then your dad was a lawyer. So then it occurred to you to go to law school. At some right? point I said, you know what? I'll go to law school. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it's about, but I had no drive to do that. But I said, I'll get my law degree and, uh, you know, I'll be with my dad. That's the best thing in the world. I love him more than anything in the world. Um, so I get to hang out with him. Mm-hmm. So I went to law school. Somehow I, I was able to get into a law school. I actually studied <laughs> for my uh, LSAT. I was going to say, for somebody who doesn't like working, like law no. school must have been a shock. It was a shock. But I also <laughs> skated through that too. Literally, uh, literally and figuratively. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, somehow, some way, I managed to get to law school and I... Uh, because I remember the first time I uh, failed the bar mm-hmm. and because uh, I thought, you know, I could just, you know, it's got to be like everything else. Like, I'll figure it out. I'll get there and I'll read it and I'll go, okay, let me just think about it. But no, you mm-hmm. actually have to know it. <laughs> you have they, to know stuff. They test what you know, <laughs> not figure it out. Like I got away with math and all that kind of stuff. So um, the second time I said, you know, this sucks. and I'm not going to go to law school and not actually be a lawyer. So I have to pass the bar. And so I actually studied and uh, it was a very difficult process because I'm sure I have complete ADD, mm-hmm. but I never got, you know, checked out. But uh, 
And I, I had a friend named Barbara who was a, an amazing friend of mine in law school. And I would call her like every half hour, like, I can't take this anymore. I can't. And she would get me to back to the books. You know? <laughs> she was amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, to her detriment, I actually passed the bar and she failed that time. Oh, no. Yeah. Because you must have she felt was, terrible. I felt horrible. <laughs> the good news is she, she got... She got through the next time, and she was amazing. Mm-hmm. So that's she's a lawyer guess. now, and you are not. She's, yeah, <laughs> but, uh, but you did practice for a little bit with your dad, right? I practiced for a couple of years. Okay, did you like and that at all? I hated it. Okay, I, hated it. <laughs> I wrote a script about it that we're okay. actually that's useful. Yeah, we're actually uh, shopping it around soon. Yeah. Okay. But um, yeah, I I didn't like it the best. I hate I hated the whole structure of mm-hmm. work. I've you know waking up and showed up at the, showing up at the office, and then I figured you know I. Just ride it through to the coffee break, you know, and then, <laughs> then I'd ride it through to lunch, and then I'd have lunch with my father. What could be better yeah. than that? You know, we'd hang out for an hour, we'd laugh, and we'd do really stupid things, and, and then I'd go back to work, and I'm like, oh, shit, here I am. <laughs> Are you allowed to swear on this? You yeah. can say whatever yeah. you want to okay. say. Okay. And uh, <laughs> so I, uh, you know, made it through to 5 o'clock, and, uh, you know, I left, and that was it. And come in the next morning late again, and, you know, and, uh, and I hated it, so, but I loved being with him. But secretly at night, you were starting to do stand-up at this I point? Started to, well, Is that's that right? When I, yeah. So I always knew I was funny. And I always knew I, you know, there was, I thought about writing some scripts. I'm like, I don't know how to write scripts. Um, but I started doing stand-up. Um, slowly, you know, I would get topics out of the newspaper. My father goes, oh, you're reading a newspaper. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, but not the way you want me to read a newspaper. I'm not actually, you know, learning stuff. I'm just like looking for comedy. Mm-hmm. And um, I started writing and... Uh, and I got enough time to, uh, I started going to open mic nights and, uh, I found a bunch of open mic nights and, and, and I got immediate gratification. I got immediate laughter. My first night went well, uh, aside from what you'd usually hear about the horrors. I was going to ask you, like, what did that feel like in the beginning? It what kind, what kind of nervousness was there? A lot of nerves. You know, I heard my name announced and, you know, as I'm walking up, I'm like, turn around, turn around, turn around, <laughs> you know, kind of like the good humor truck. But, uh, <laughs> but I went on stage and I told my first joke and I got a laugh and so I was like, oh, that's great. You know, that's fun. This is fun. Mm-hmm. So. I uh, kept going, and then uh, then it was a matter of just you know, just honing your craft, just getting better and getting funnier, getting more sophisticated, trusting things, and you know, and eventually after a whole bunch of open mic nights and writing better material than just the basic stuff, um, you know, I went to uh, New York because this was all in Jersey. Okay. Yeah, I went to New York, which was a half hour away, and uh, and that was that was real. That, that was, was like real. Big time there. That was real. And so, I, were you nervous about that then? Or yeah, was, well, was it the same to, thing? Like a stage is a stage, and a mic is a mic. Well, you and, had to wait for uh, yeah. you had to wait because in those days they didn't have any what they call now bringums, where you know open micers, you know they have earlier shows, and open micers can bring uh, their audience, and if they bring like X amount of people who pay a cover charge, mm-hmm. you know they can sit in the show, and then they get to go on, and then your friends get to laugh at you. I didn't have that, <laughs> which is I think a detriment. You know, it's great for the comedy clubs, but a detriment to comics because, you know, anybody can make your friends laugh. You never you really know. know if it's working. You never know. So um, your friends are going to be polite. Well, of course. Oh, they're going to be nice. They're going to be nice. Or they'll laugh at you, but you don't know because you're on stage. <laughs> um, so I, uh, I started auditioning for, uh, for the clubs. I, uh, my fr- the first club that you have to pass them in order to get stage time. There's a process. Basically, you audition, and if you pass the club... Then you have the 
the honor of hanging out until three o'clock in the morning <laughs> and hoping that you can get to go on and still, there are still at least two people in the audience. I hope that you're still awake enough to do exactly. that. But I guess comics hours are like you go to bed late and you, you go wake to bed. up late, Exactly, right? exactly. So, so at some point you've got to like make that break from being a lawyer because you cannot live both of these lives simultaneously. Yeah, my, my father wanted me to go for all kinds of blood tests. He thought I was severely ill and dying. <laughs> Because I'd be later and later. He goes, I know you don't like the job, but you're showing up. You look like shit. You know, you haven't slept and, you know, you're losing weight. You know, are you okay? And I said, "Uh, yeah, Dad. uh, um, I got to tell you, you know, that I've actually started doing stand-up comedy. He goes, you're sure you're not sick? (laughs) You actually prefer that I had some kind of disease. um, No, but he actually was was a big supporter of anything I did all the way through. He was a big fan of that. He would come and watch sometimes, and uh, and he became a big fan of that too. Just like he became uh, a hockey expert, he didn't know the hockey puck from a basketball, mm-hmm. and he became an aficionado and was able to and never pushed me, but always made sure that I you know took my temperature on what I wanted to do yeah. in everything for the hockey law. And when I made the, d- the decision to uh, give up the law, he said, you know, you're better off. Your heart's not in this. You know, you're never going to make a a great living at this, you know, even though it can offer you something, you have something at least to fall back on, go into your thing. Right. And he was very emotionally supportive and even and financially supportive of it too for a bit. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Cause I'm sure for in the beginning, you know, it's, you're not yeah. making a lot of money as an aspiring up and coming comic, I'm guessing. No, no. And then I started going on the road, which, uh, you know, so I'd work in the city. Um, you know, at, uh, I became a, the house MC at stand up New York. Okay. What does that mean? Um, it's a really great position to be in as a, as a comic because um, as an MC in New York City, here in L.A., for example, it's just getting the show to move along. Go, 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 go. But in New York, it's a different, different um, atmosphere. In New York, they want an MC to be able to get the crowd going, warm them up, mm-hmm. do about 15 minutes or so, and then... Um, keep it going through the show. Keep, uh, obs- keep the comedy going. If uh, someone's had a great set, let the next comic on. If someone's had a bad set, get the audience back so that it's set up for the next comic. And then you get the coveted uh, check spot. What's which that? That's when um, everybody's been having a great time and they're all fucked up and shit <laughs> And then they get the check and they realize they drank $300 worth of... Uh, inexpensive liquor, you know, and they're like, I just got ripped off, you know, I'm not laughing, you know, and the, the waitresses and the, uh, the servers now are dropping the checks okay. and, uh, and people are realizing how much they have to pay and everybody's, you know, who are all split it or what, you know, and this is all going on conversations. I didn't order this and, you know, the chicken wings are cold and, you know, all that stuff. There's distractions. Yeah. So you okay. have about 20 minutes of chaos in the audience and you have a show still going on. Okay. So you now have to learn how to make the best of that. And it's through those trials and tribulations where I really became a, a much better comic because, uh, if you can make people laugh through that, yeah. then, uh, you know, so it was really a, a coveted spot. And some of my friends who are very successful in the business now, um, started out as house MCs and it was great. It sounds kind of you know? like being a goalie. It's like, <laughs> exactly but like the, the right. kind of same kind of pressure, kind right? Of pressure, like yeah? it's like it's on you to make this situation work, even You're though like everything in your hands. pucks are coming flying at your head. It's exactly right. That's like, yeah. so. I like to you know I like to put myself in the most difficult spot <laughs> I possibly can. Mm-hmm. And stand up is like that too. You know, you have uh, you know when you became a, a headliner, you, you know you had to hold people's attention. Mm-hmm. You know, for forty five minutes or an hour. You know, and you had to be able to do well at it. 
When, so, you, when you say honing your craft, what does that mean? Like, how did you know you were getting better? Were you, were you running your material past other comics that you trusted? Well, I would have writing sessions with other comics okay. that, that I trusted and who I admired. Some of them who were nice enough to, to help me out who were further along, you know. And, and, uh, and I would write by myself a lot. And then uh, I would just try them out, try them out whenever I could. I would still do open mic nights sometimes, you know, when, uh, when uh, it was hard to get on. Because it took me a while to get... Uh, get to, um, you know, get regular stage time at, at, at the clubs in, the, in New York. Um, you really have to pay your dues. You know, eventually you get on, you know, 12, and then eventually you call, you call in your spots for the week, and eventually you find out, you know, if a Tuesday at 10 o'clock, and all right, that's a, that's a good spot. one. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> and you start getting better and better spots, mm-hmm. um, and then you make money by going away for the weekends and, and, and doing stand-up there. How would you describe your style of comedy? Really stupid. I mean, <laughs> We've established that fart jokes are a part of it. No, but, right. but like, how would you describe either your approach to the kind of material you, you like or your delivery? Like, how would you describe what you are like as an experience? Uh, silly. Uh, very silly. <laughs> I, I, you know, um, the first agent that ever signed me said, I'm doing this in spite of myself. <laughs> you know, I really, I didn't want to laugh at any of your sophomoric stuff, mm-hmm. but I found myself not being able not to. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I guess I wear you down. <laughs> you know. Were there comics that you looked to as inspiration? Oh, there were a ton of comics mm-hmm. that were just brilliant. I mean, everybody out there is brilliant. I was a sucky comic. You know, mm-hmm. I did well, but I had nothing that stood out, you know, uh, which is one of the reasons why I realized that that wasn't going to be a career for me. I could, uh, you know, I could, you know, be uh, the feature act. You know, they have an MC when you go on the road who do about 15 minutes. Then a feature actor do a half hour, and then a headliner, who most of the people knew and were more famous and came to see, <laughs> and they would do forty-five minutes or an hour. And uh, so many times, people go, "You were so much better than the uh, headliner." Oh. You know who we knew. You were really funny, but they couldn't name a joke because I didn't have mm-hmm. a cadence or a style that you know. I was just a re- regular monologist who you know pointed out you know the the absurdities of the world and my family and all that stuff and. I was also afraid to get too personal, so I didn't get too personal at that time. I stayed more about what was funny, and and that the better comics got more personal, and the better comics, you know, were were really special and unique in certain ways. And they found their own voice. Like who? <sighs> like who? Like, like who um, back then did you love that did that kind of thing? Who got personal? Like um, Patton Oz- Oswalt got really mm-hmm. really personal and really great. Um, Louis Black had mm-hmm. a very special way. About him, David Tell, mm-hmm. you know, um, he's also they were like brilliant joke writers. Uh, Brian Regan, who's my all-time favorite comic, is just why absolutely because he's ridiculously funny. He's amazingly prolific. He works completely clean, mm-hmm. and he just makes you belly laugh. And uh, I got to work with him a, a few times. And his brother is also a comic, Dennis Regan, who's an, also a, a fantastic guy. And uh, so I knew Dennis a lot better than Brian. Brian, I just met a few times. Dennis and I were friendly. Um, he was also a great comic. But, you know, I just admire people who know how to work the, know how to work it and do it and be able to either expose themselves and be really raw and be able to, you know, pick apart their personal lives no matter how, you know, hard it might be for them and make it funny or people who are just tremendous joke writers. And so I always appreciate everybody. Everybody was always better than me. Oh, please. How no, hard, how hard is it to work clean? Uh, I don't know. I never did. No, uh, <laughs> I, like, I prefer it if you can. Yeah. I like it. You know, yeah, you go to certain places, um, you know, and you have to work completely clean. Mm-hmm. And other places you don't. But, uh, 
you know, to me, it's easier to say, you know, a punchline than to say, you know, fucking punchline, uh-huh. you know. Um, and, and, you know, sometimes it just gets a laugh because you put fucking in it, you mm-hmm. know, and, and that's a punctuation. <laughs> that's kind of cheap. But you learn about, uh, you learn about delivery and that, you know, what, what really helped me for writing was the order and the sequence of, of, of writing jokes. Um, you know, that just changing the to an uh or changing a two syllable, syllable word to a one syllable word or, you know, getting to the joke quicker or all those kinds of things. And when you hear, when you, when you change it up and you try a joke 10 times and you're changing it each time to try to make it work and then you finally land on what makes it work because you know inherently it's really funny. When you do that, you, um, you appreciate the value of using your words. And, uh, and that helped me in, uh, in, in writing script writing. In your current career. Right. Um, we will get to that. I want to ask you about Hallie Mandel because I know that you, <laughs> you opened for him for a while. You traveled around with him for a while. What was that yeah. whole experience like? Howie is an, an amazing guy. He's just a fantastic mind, a brilliant person. Uh, I consider a good friend, and his mind is unbelievable. He, um, I, wrote, I wrote on a sitcom for a year, and then uh, that didn't get picked up for another season. And uh, there was an opening for uh, – he, he had a daytime talk show. This was back in 98, I think. He had a daytime talk show, and he was looking for writers. So he was going to hire five writers. And uh, so I made a submission through my manager at the time who knew Howie, who was very good friends with Howie. And um, there were like a million people looking, and I did this submission of 20 jokes and then five uh, questions for Howie to ask uh, over a few um, guests. He'd have some celebrity names, and you'd have to have questions. And, uh, and a couple of desk pieces that he could do. So I was like, oh, this sucks. So I, <laughs> I did it and, uh, I submitted it and I was, was like, congratulations, you're, you can come to the next round. I'm like, there's another round. You, you <laughs> there's more kidding me. <laughs> you gotta be kidding me. And then, uh, I, uh, I sucked it up and I wrote 20 more jokes and I, and I, and desk pieces and I, uh, handed it in and they go, they go, you're, this is fantastic. Um, there's one more round. Oh We've narrowed God. it down to the, like, there's 10 or 12 people. There's one more round for five jobs. It's like, like Survivor. Oh. Survivor Howie Mandel edition. Exactly. <laughs> so I said, uh, okay. So I sat down and I'm like, you know, what job is worth this? Fuck it. So <laughs> I took 20 jokes from my act. <laughs> and I just wrote them down. The, the, the ones that didn't have, like, that weren't dating you or, you know, just evergreen jokes. Mm-hmm. Jokes that would last and you could say any time. Mm-hmm. So I took 20 jokes from my act. I changed them a little bit, you know, here and there to make sure that they work for Howie. And then uh, I handed them in and uh, I got an interview. So I met Howie and we hit it off and just weird things. You know, I had lost my father, whose name was Al, and his dad, uh, whose name was Al as well. Oh. And he had lost him and they were very close. And we, Howie and I immediately hit it off, got the job on the spot. That was amazing. And it was amazing. I loved it. I loved every minute of it. Um, met uh, some really great friends through there. Another writer friend of ours, uh, I met and he became like a brother to me for a long time. Um, and then, uh, one day he said to me, one of the writers there was opening for Howie a lot and he couldn't make it for whatever reason. He goes, Hey, you know, Mike, you want to open, uh, um, Howie's, Howie's, um, road manager, Rich Thurber, who's a great guy and another really good friend of mine who I actually called today because it was his birthday Aww. and we exchanged some silliness, <laughs> uh, which was totally ridiculous. But anyway, um, I, uh, 
he said, hey, you know, Howie, would you want to open for Howie? I'm like, yeah, that'd be amazing. You're kidding? And, and uh, I think it was Caesar's Palace. Oh, I'm my like, God. Oh, that's what I said. Oh, my God. And he goes, okay, we just need it. My, at those days, it was like a, a VHS tape, you know? Oh, God. So he goes, they just need to see the VHS tape. So uh, can you give me a VHS tape? And then we'll, you know, send it along. It's going to happen. But, you know, they just got, have to make sure. So I said, sure. And I showed it to them. And like uh, 15 minutes later, they called me into the office. And they go, these are the same exact, jack- <laughs> same exact jokes you had in your submission. And I'm like, how many jokes do you think I can fucking write for you people? He goes, oh, the job is to write the jokes every day. And I go, have you not had my jokes every day? Have you not used them? They were? We had a big laugh over This is it. not it plagiarism. Just, exactly. When you, when you, steal, when you from steal from yourself. From yourself. Exactly. It was all just a goof anyway. He was calling me to bust my balls. You, know? you got the job. I, yeah, I got to do it. And I got to, I got to open for him. And from that, I got to uh, open for him a lot. All over the country, you know, we flew on his plane, you know, he had a, he has a private plane that he charters and went all over the country on the plane and had a lot of laughs and did a lot of five hour bits that, that would get under his skin and then make him laugh again because I wouldn't let it go. I like to milk jokes a lot (laughs) and, uh, you know, just all kinds of craziness and all kinds of crazy people and fun people, you know, and meeting a lot of other comics who, you know, we, you know, how he gave Louie Anderson a ride back from, I think like. Rhode Island or Jersey or somewhere. And, Hop on. You know, yeah, exactly. You know, so, <laughs> We're a shuttle bus now. <laughs> right, exactly. So I got to meet a lot of people. I got to live a life that I wasn't used to. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, yeah, he was at my wedding. And, oh, wow. And to this day, you know, he, my kids got to ring the buzzer on America's Got Talent, and, you know, and and uh, he, he's, 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 he's terrific. We actually may be doing a, another project together mm-hmm. that we're thinking about in, in very early stages on, but um, I owe a lot to him. Mm-hmm. So. so at what point from opening up for him do you start getting into writing for television beyond, well, I, beyond I, his show? Well, I, yeah. Well, I was already writing for, t- for mm-hmm. TV. Mm-hmm. I, I had my first job. You know, as my dad would say, learn how to play golf because that's where a lot of business is done. And I sucked at golf, mm-hmm. but you know, thank God for hockey. And oh, right, when, right. Mm-hmm. And when I was um, when I was house emceeing at Stand Up New York, um, you know, I met a lot of comics who I admired, and they were all fantastic, and they were all really nice to me. Guys like Eddie Brill and just just amazing guys. And then um, I kept running into because he would he would do that is uh, Dennis Leary. Okay. And Dennis Leary was like, oh, and he already had, he was having a play on Broadway already, No Cure for Cancer, mm-hmm. you know, and he was a big star, but he was very nice to me, you know, we'd hang out at the bar and you like hockey, I like hockey, blah, 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 blah. He said, well, we should play. I'm like, oh, that'd be great. And, no, we should play. Every time I see him, let's play. I'm like, yeah, you know. I he means it. this. Yeah. But I knew he didn't mean it, you know, because we did. never did play. Yeah. So when I came out, I came out to LA. Mm-hmm. Uh, to tape a, a stand-up comedy show, evening at the A&E's Evening at the Improv, mm-hmm. that they used to have on uh, A&E, obviously. Hence the name. <laughs> yes, Bud Friedman hosted, who was also very good to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Dennis, you know, gave me a call, and he goes, hey, Jerry Buckheimer's starting a hockey team. Oh. Do you, uh, you want to play, and you want to be the goalie? And I'm like, yeah. And I didn't know who Jerry Buckheimer was. You know, this is a days that, you know, it was... Whoever was the star the movie was promoted by, okay. you know? Now, today, it's like, you know, promoted from the sound guy, from this guy, or, you know. <laughs> but from, he's a brand at this he's point. A, well, he was a brand, yeah. And I didn't know that brand. Because you know, I knew TV, too. I didn't know the movie. He blew you know. shit up. Yeah, he did. He blew a lot of shit up. <laughs> and he turned out to be a great guy. And, you know, I show up at this first ice, ice session. And was this, it Toyota? This, no, no, Toyota didn't exist. Then. Okay, because there is a, a locker in locker room. What is it? Ten. Oh yeah, for Jerry. Yeah, he has a locker in yeah. one of the locker rooms. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, the, well, we ended up playing at Toyota. Okay. We we started. This is the very first one. We actually played in. Um, 
in uh, Pasadena, okay. of all places. Which is terrible ice. Terrible ice. Terrible ice. That's where we all started. So I'm in Pasadena. I don't even know where it is because I'm, <laughs> I'm not even living in LA. <laughs> it's and, far. Uh, it's far. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, there I am with, uh, you know, Cuba Gooding Jr. Oh, wow. and Kiefer Sutherland. Oh, wow. And, you know, all these celebrities. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? Mm-hmm. You know, but I was a goalie. It mm-hmm. was it was fun. And we, we played uh, every Sunday. Was, they were called the Bad Boys after his movie, ah, Bad Boys. Cute. Yeah. <laughs> and we started out there. Then we quickly moved to um, the Isoplex in the Valley. Mm-hmm. And we played Simi there. Valley. No, no. In, uh, in the Valley. Uh, yeah. Off, off of Roscoe. I don't know if it's there anymore. Okay. You know, it was nice, a really nice facility okay. for a while. And then, of course, they built Toyota. And that's, that's where they've been ever since. And I've since stopped, you know, because... I'm an old guy, but it's uh, still in you where it counts in your heart. So, are, are these guys all good hockey players, or is everyone just no. like being nice to each other? And it's some fun? of them are terrible, and some of them are great. Who is a great celebrity hockey player? A great celebrity. Kiefer was pretty good. Was he? Kiefer, mm-hmm. Yeah, he was really good. Um, his dad's Canadian. I know. I know. <laughs> it's in his blood. <laughs> Alan Thicke was pretty good. Canadian. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we had we had a lot of fun, and mm-hmm. I and, and from there. I got, there was a Monday, well, and we had some NHLers skating with us too. Oh, wow. And they would also skate on Monday. Uh, a big hockey agent uh, who I knew um, just from playing with Jerry Bruckheimer was uh, Papri San, and he was, uh, and he had a Monday skate for all his clients who were out in uh, LA training over the summer. And okay. so it was a big NHL thing. And I guess they didn't have anybody stupid enough to get in the goal. So they <laughs> said, hey, you guys, you can play on, on, on Monday if you like. So it was great. I got to play against the NHL guys on Monday. For, oh I gosh. did that for a long time. That's that was scary. fantastic. Yeah, and I got a really, you know, uh, Pat works with a guy named Jim Nice, who uh, Jim and I became really good friends, and uh, we still to this day uh, talk, and he, he helps me get to meet the Rangers for my boys ah. now. You know, and <laughs> uh, that's how that hookup happens. That's how that hookup um, you know, so, so is, is talking and hanging out with all these celebrity guys, like that's like the foot in the door that you get to make, to do more television? That was a weird thing. You know, I got to... Uh, you know, I got to uh, hang out with them. And, you know, I was about two years in. Everybody, you know, listening to talking to everybody else and me kind of just like in the background with one or two other guys. And, you know, finally when they got dull of their big fancy movie talk mm-hmm. and, you know, and, you know, what mansions they were moving in and out of. Mm-hmm. And I was in a, you know, a one-bedroom apartment, you know. <laughs> and uh, and, uh, and uh, Michael Rotenberg, who's one of the partners of Three Arts, said to me, you know, what do you do anyway? So, well, I just stand up and I write, and they go, "Are you any good? Is your writing any good?" And, <laughs> no, I'm terrible. And, uh, I go, "Thanks I for think asking." It's good. Exactly. <laughs> so, but I, you know, I, he said he was willing to read, and that was fantastic. And uh, that's amazing from hockey. So I gave him. Uh, I had written two uh, spec scripts. I wrote a. In those days, you would write scripts for shows that were on the air in the nineties. So yeah. Mm-hmm. So I gave him a Mad About You and mm-hmm. a Friends. Oh wow! And he, he liked. It. He goes, "I'll represent you," and I go, "That's amazing." And he. He got me my first agent and my first job. Was your friend's script called the one with the hockey game or something like no, that? No, it was the one, the one with the cake. It was, I remember it was good. Did that get and made? No, no, it would never get made. It would it's never just, get. It's just a thing that you do. Friends. Yes. To bring it completely full circle, mm-hmm. I now you know work with Marta Kaufman, who was okay. one of the creators yeah. of Friends, and is unbelievable. And boy, I've learned a lot from her. She's just it's it's crazy how smart she is and how how generous and and. And, you know, I'm like, hey, it's unbelievable. My career started because I wrote a, uh, a, uh, 
a friend spec. She's like, that's great. I do not want to read it. <laughs> you're like, please <laughs> right. do not send it to me. Right. So you have worked, so now you're working on Grace and Frankie, but you worked on several shows that lasted for like a, a season or two here or there here prior there, right. to that. Yeah. What is that whole process like of, of writing either an episode or a season? How do you approach it? Um... Or if you're in a writer's room full of people, or is it just you and your partner? Like how? Well, I didn't work? have a, I didn't have a partner for a while. Okay. I, you know, all of this was on my own. Um, and then uh, I moved to Chicago, and I wrote on a show called What About Joan, which was Joan Cusack's. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had a, a a sitcom for a while for a very short time, and that was fun. And then I came back, and uh, and um, I just you know was trying to find the right the next job my agent would mm-hmm. get me my next job or you know mm-hmm. um i didn't have a manager at that time mm-hmm. and uh but all during the while i had i had a, a really good friend named barry safchik and he uh he'd laugh if i called him a friend today because <laughs> we had, no we had a fight the other day no, we're not. no it's a joke. by the time this comes out you will all have been friends again we sure. we we're brothers basically okay. so it's 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 ongoing like that no we're He's my, the best friend in my world. Okay. He's probably the closest person. There's Barry, then there's my kids, <laughs> then there's my dog, and then my cat, then the, you. Thank you. Yeah. And then, uh, and then my wife is, yeah. No. She's in there somewhere. She's some, no. She holds it all together. <laughs> she's wife, in there somewhere. My wife puts up with so much. She's, been, she's amazing. She's know. hanging out with our kids right now. I know. Making sure that my kid gets his hockey gear on Let so we can go to something. our hockey game. If it wasn't for Liz, none of this would have been possible. Yes, yes. But Barry and I... Um, we're friends, and mm-hmm. oddly enough, we were friends about hockey. Mm-hmm. So we had a crazy similarities. Um, uh, there was a club, uh, a restaurant club in, in Manhattan back in the day when, when we were, you know, in our 20s and running around. Um, and his best friend was a, was a half-owner of, of the place. And the, one of my friends who lived in my building in New Jersey, his father was the other half owner. Okay. So we always used to go there, and I'm sure we've been in the same room a million times and never knew each other, mm-hmm. never never talked to each other. And um, But in retrospect, when we got together, um, I met Barry on a uh, kind of a... Just his wife knew a girl that I was dating a couple of times, and uh, we got together on a double date, mm-hmm. and... Uh, it turns out he's he loved the Rangers. Was a crazy Rangers <laughs> fan, you know. And uh, then we then we found out mm-hmm. about this connection of you know this place called Ruel's in the city, and uh, and we just bonded and we we watched a lot of hockey together. We go to the Kings games together, and uh, we became really good friends. And you know, coincidence after coincidence. Then when I get my very first job as a writer, um, I walk in the first day. And our office is on the second floor. I walk past the first floor, and Barry's there. I'm like, "What are you?" That's crazy. So, yeah, he's he's doing Boy Meets World. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and I'm doing a show called Pearl with Rhea Perlman. Oh my gosh. So did, did you didn't realize you were both writers? Yeah, we realized we were both writers. But I didn't not realize the same that building. he was, you know, <laughs> yeah. I saw so he was there, and then I had uh, my very first uh, job was with uh, it, my boss was a showrunner by the and creator by the name of Don Rio, mm-hmm. who was amazing. And he had it down, and he was just very chill, and I learned a lot about how I had to handle mm-hmm. things through him. And he would um, he would love to golf in the morning, and then uh, he he would love to go to Hawaii to his private house and beach. That's nice. You know, during the hiatus. That's nice. So you know, Barry would hate me because I would come in at, come in at noon a couple times a uh-huh. week, and you know, I would leave at five because Don was done mm-hmm. for the day. You know, and 
and uh, he was a great time manager. And Barry's boss uh, was the complete opposite. He was just down to the to it every time. He liked to just so Barry basically slept there. Okay, um, but you start writing together at some be, point. No, it's not. Yeah, not yet. Mm-hmm. But well, then we became friends, and then um, when Boy Meets World goes off the air, and when one of my shows is, uh, I think I just came back from Chicago and. And uh, I had an idea for a show, and uh, there was a couple of a couple of details that I couldn't quite figure out, and I wanted to pitch it. And I called Barry up, and I ran it by him, and he loved it. And he actually turned in some ideas that I thought were amazing. I'm like, wow, because I always felt like I'm a genius, and you were kind of <laughs> kind of stupid. No, who knew? Who knew? <laughs> but he actually had something to contribute mm-hmm. other than typing, <laughs> and uh, and. We decided to partner up on it, and we partnered up on that project, and we sold it, actually. It never got produced, but we got our first sale together immediately, and we're like, you know what? It's more fun doing this. You don't have to rack your brains against the wall. We mm-hmm. could, you know, for all the time that we waste together every day, at least we're wasting it together mm-hmm. playing stupid games like, you know, can you get the paper ball behind the door <laughs> without having it pop back out again? <laughs> and, you know, how many points that was worth, you know? Mm-hmm. Who wouldn't drop a tangerine if you threw it a thousand times? <laughs> You know, and then we write a line, you know, and it's then we go back to... It's all part of the process. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so this um, is your writing process then. It's just it's, dicking around. Basically, that's what every writer does. It's comedy writer anyway. Mm-hmm. Anyone I've known. Mm-hmm. Um, and we decided to uh, go into work together. Mm-hmm. You know, so we did that and we said, well, you know, the first thing we need is... First of all, we should probably get an agent together because we were both with different agencies. And uh, we probably need to write a script together. So we decided to write a script, and at that time we said, you know, what we'll do is we'll we'll change our brand up a little. We'll write something that's funny and edgy, but you know, also an hour drama kind of show. So we decided to write a Nip Tuck spec, okay, which was really uh, a great experience. It was really funny. Um, it was a very racy show. I don't know if you remember. The sh- I do. The show. Okay. Yeah, it's a very racy show. Um, it was sexy yeah. people who had yeah. plastic surgery. So Barry, <laughs> yeah, exactly. so Barry, uh, you know, comes over at like noon and he. Pounds on the door, and I'm, of course, sleeping still. So I'm, like, in my underpants, and I open the door, and I'm bleary-eyed, and I can't get the VCR in my um, oh my, God. In my my living room TV to work. You know, because I had tapes of – my agent sent tapes of, uh, like, six or seven episodes so we could learn the show well enough to write an episode. Mm-hmm. So, like, oh, let's just, you know, write in my bedroom. It's like, really? And I go, we have to watch these fucking tapes. <laughs> so watching the tapes, and, uh, like – He's he's like like with you know with his hands on his face with his face to the foot of the bed uh-huh. and I'm like laying back and you know uh-huh. he's watching TV and and uh, you can hear like there's like a scene and you hear moans and groans and sex is happening uh-huh. and all of a sudden I hear a knock and a look up and my uh, my landlord is there is the super oh, <laughs> he's God. like I'm here to fix the sink you know what I'll come back I'll come back. you're busy you're <laughs> yeah, very busy you're obviously. obviously very busy so we laughed anyway we wrote the we wrote the nip talk and. Um, we got a new agent out of that, and uh, and we were submitted for Weeds, mm-hmm. and because it was more of a dramedy, and that's what Weeds was. And Genji Cohen read mm-hmm. it and, and loved the script, and came in and met with us. And we uh, had a great meeting, and uh, we ended up on Weeds. Mm-hmm. So, if you are writing something together and you don't necessarily agree about where a character should go, where a storyline should go, how do you work through that impasse? It goes my way. Okay. No. Easy, easy um, enough. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes. If you feel really strong about something, then you have to make the case. And, you know, if Barry makes a case for something and 
he gets me to see it. Great. And he's right. Oh my God, you're right. I didn't see it. If I make a case for something and I'm right, you know, and he sees it, then that's the way we go. If, um, if we're in an impasse and we can't agree and we're both really stubborn for different reasons, then we'll really go at it. And usually what happens is we find an alternative that works even better than either of our ideas. So when there's something wrong that neither of us can sell each other on our own ideas, we know that there's a problem and then we, we put our minds together and fix it in a better way than we either, that's great. You put each other out to a different outside your comfort zone perhaps. Right, right. And you're there together. Um, so you have been working on Grace and Frankie now. This is what season are we about to begin now? We we are going into season seven. God, that's incredible. Okay. So people who don't know what Grace and Frankie is with the incredible stars who star in it, can you describe Grace and Frankie please? It's a it's a fun show starring uh, Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin and um, who else were the guys? I'm getting old. Uh, <laughs> Jane Fonda just got arrested today. By the I way, I know. Are she you so did. proud? Uh, she was amazing. That's old school, like yeah. in a, at a climate change protest. She That's wants like to make a difference. old school Jane. So, so she actually she completely still walks the talk with all that kind of stuff. She still does. She at does. age what is she eighty? Gosh, she's amazing. She's amazing. You know, if I could be like that, you know. When I'm 81, that's all you can ask. So they're best friends? How would you describe who they are with each other? In the show? Yeah. The the characters, they start out actually as polar opposites, Mm -hmm. and they end up becoming each other's best friends. Mm -hmm. So the the basic premise of the pilot is that uh, their husbands are in in a law practice together, and uh, they show up early at the dinner, and they're hoping that they're announcing their retirement because the women hopefully will never have to see each other. They own a beach house together, but they, they don't vacation mm-hmm. together. It's one couple or the other. And uh, what they learn is that uh, if they're not announcing their retirement, they're actually announcing that they, they're gay and they've been mm-hmm. in love with each other for the past seven or eight years <laughs> and they're leaving the wives for each other. And that starts the uh, show off. <laughs> Brilliant p- pilot written by Marta. And uh, by uh, my friend Howie, mm-hmm. who's great. Howie J. Morris, he's another brilliant writer. We've become very close. And we worked on another show together mm-hmm. called Sullivan and Son. Aha. Uh-huh. So what is that writer's room process like? Uh, a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. A lot of fun. You know, they're just... Every room I've been in, it's been amazing. This particular room has been mm-hmm. super amazing because everybody's way smarter than I am. <laughs> they're way better educated than I mm-hmm. am. The, um their breadth of knowledge in every aspect of academia is mm-hmm. so far beyond. Barry's the only one stupider than me. Uh, <laughs> as long as he know, knows that. Right. I, he's got to stay in his good. place. Yeah. No, Barry's <laughs> smarter than me too. Everyone's smarter than me. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, somehow you, ha- you take all these different personalities who have a common way of getting together and becoming friends and we're all, we're all very friendly and caring. Mm-hmm. And it's, 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 it really becomes a family. You see a lot of these people. And you spend a lot of time together, yes, right? Yes. And it's, it's, it's emotional time because you're, you're making yourself vulnerable by putting your ideas and yourself out there. I would think you, that that bonds you really quickly. You, you contribute things that you really open up to yourself to, and to the room mm-hmm. right, very personally. Um, you know, and a lot of credit to Marta for, uh, for again, you know, just being the, you know, spearheading it all. And to Howard, you know, who just works relentlessly. Mm-hmm. And they've put this great room together of writers. Some have, um, Barry and I are really proud because we actually, actually, and Marta's so great about promoting from within, which a lot of people don't do. Mm-hmm. We actually uh, recommended, um, we worked on an Amazon show, Barry and I, and it was a horrible show. Yeah. But 
the good, the, the, the writer's room was brilliant and it was such a waste of the writer's room mm-hmm. uh, for a lot of reasons that we all have time for. But, <laughs> but there were two writer's assistants who we adored. And um, when Howie, uh, Howard Morris said, uh, hey, do you, we need writer's assistants. Can you recommend anyone? And we really went to the mat for these guys. And they, had, they met with uh, Marta and Howard. And they got the job. They were amazing, of mm-hmm. course. And they, um, they are now uh, supervising producers or co-executive producers now on the show. They've risen oh, wow. through the ranks. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're fantastic. And they actually called another person who we work with, uh, a woman by the name Brooke uh, Weed, mm-hmm. who's really funny and quirky and just really smart. Mm-hmm. And, um, and she came on as a, a script coordinator or a, you know, assistant or whatever she did at the time is now now elevated to to uh, you know producer level writing. That's great. And she's you know so all these people we were able to, I, we recognize their intelligence and mm-hmm. so that was really fun. So you also get producer credits, executive yeah. producer credits. So executive yeah, producer a, and writer. I'm executive credits. producer and a writer. Right. Okay. Um, and so what has experience been like of working with Lily Tomlin and Jane Fonda? How amazing. Yeah. Amazing. They're both uh, they're both very very grounded and very sweet. Lily is is uh just tremendous you know i you know i'll get a call from one of my boys cash you know it's like daddy when are you coming home you know and i'll fa- he facetimes me <laughs> and i'll just flip up the phone to lily and she's like hi cashy why aren't you in bed? you know it's very very cool mm-hmm. they're very cool um you know when when jane fonda comes up to me and says uh she goes well I, i'm not quite understanding the meaning of this line and i said well it's about she goes i don't have time for this fuck it just give me a line right <laughs> She's a pro. She's like, I want to go home. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, you're giving a line reading, which is a big taboo to give to actors because you're interpreting what it is for them. But Especially for Jane Fonda, right? of all people. And she's just asking me, you know, <laughs> how, let, let's move on. How does it go? And, you know, I give her a line reading. She's like, got it. You know, she goes off and she just does it like that. And I'm like, wow. But know. good. Yeah, she's only got, yeah. <laughs> but better than, yeah, much better than my line reading. I just gave her the kind of idea of what we were looking for. But, uh, you know, she's a two-time Oscar winner. Yeah. So you guys are on set with them when they're shooting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Our stage is, we have two stages directly across from our offices. We're on the Paramount lot. Mm-hmm. And then we have a third stage that's down and around the corner. So, you know, it's always a constant back and forth, which is good. And it's great to have the proximity of, of the sets and the actors right there too. Is that unusual to be that involved with the actual? Cause I know at least with, with the film world, like you right. write the script they probably don't want you around. Well, that's you know, why the writers the... aren't producers in films, right? You sell a you sell a script and you right. don't know what happens to it. Right. It could go to four more writers. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when you see a when you see a movie and it says written by you know X and Y right. and it's an A and D, right. it means that they don't probably don't even know each other. And it was you know it, they bought it from X and then Y came and worked on it. And then if there's a Z, he came in or she came in and worked mm-hmm. on it. And, Maybe um, there's an ampersand there sometimes. If there's an ampersand, that's what me and Barry have. That means you they're have a team. A writing team, yes. That's right. The ampersand means team. So if you take nothing away from this, know that an ampersand right. means that... Punctuation is important. It is. It's not a hyphen or an apostrophe. Exactly. It's an ampersand. Um, that's interesting. And that must feel really good, though, to be able to contribute that much to the entire process. But, well, that yeah, that's why we get... That's why writers in television get um, producer titles and you know, executive producer titles because... They're hands-on all the way through, mm-hmm. and you know they help make decisions throughout uh, to help color the way the show comes out, you know, and have a say in how it comes out in post, you know, and in, mm-hmm. in, in features. It's the director that does a lot of that stuff, 
and uh, here the uh, you know the creators of the show get to, to uh, get get the final say in post. That's very cool. Yeah. Um, we need to wrap up soon because my kid has to go to his hockey game. Your son already played his. He won. We won the game. For there you go. Play. So hopefully we will pass along that winning uh, vibe to Nick's game too. But before we go, um, movies because we are primarily still a movie podcast. Right. Are there movies that get the stand-up comedy world right? No. <laughs> there are none. <laughs> Not that I can think of. Um, a couple have come close, but, uh, you know, Judd Apatow had a movie that was that was Funny pretty, people? Pretty close, yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that, that was pretty close. Because he knows that world he intimately, does, of yeah. course, and right? And he's, he's obviously brilliant. Right. I mean, there's nothing that he doesn't touch that turns out to be amazing. So he'll want that to I be I say authentic. that. I actually do, yeah. I think that that's the one movie that really gets mm-hmm. it, you know. Um, Not King of Comedy, no, no. I mean, I guess they did. You know, look, mm-hmm. I was in a, what do I know about comedy? But you lived that world. But you were in that world. Yeah, but I hung around and ate with mm-hmm. people who were funnier than me and, you know, drank with people who were funnier than, than me. And, you know, I got to go on stage once in a while and not be as funny as the other people who were funnier than me. So, <laughs> so. Well, you are awesome. I appreciate you. I've wanted to have you on here for so long, and I'm glad we were able to make there our schedules line up. If people want to find you, where can they find you out in the world on social media or whatever? Well, if they have money and they want to hand it to me, <laughs> I, they can find me anywhere. <laughs> um, if there's anybody I owe money to, uh, let them go through you. Yeah. Um, how can they find me? I, I, can, know. I don't know. You're on Instagram. Do yeah, you want to be found? I mean, I maybe you don't want to be found. That's, you, and that's trust okay, me, too. Trust me. You don't want to find me. Okay. Really. I mean, I don't even like being interviewed because I have wow. nothing, nothing to contribute. Well, you did great for the past hour, so well, thanks. thanks. <laughs> I said a lot of nothing. But, uh, um, Mike and or Michael Platt, you are great. <laughs> I appreciate you tremendously. Thank you so much for coming over. Um, next week is a very, very different kind of television person. His name is Rick Adams, and he does a segment on Spectrum News One where Chris is an executive producer called Virtually Rick, where he will take a complex story. You know what? Call me Virtually Mike. Virtually, that's, I will. That's better VM. than Mike or Michael. The VM. Yeah. Um, Virtually Rick, he will, he will like illustrate these things and then bring them to life through virtual reality, and he'll explain to you like – wildfires how do wildfires work or wow. like at the beginning of the baseball season he did the thing about like how does hitting a baseball work it's a round bat and a round ball what are the physics of that and it's, another it, guy who's smarter than me <laughs> <laughs> and he's british he has this wow. very like posh sexy Smarting british and more accent charming, yeah <laughs> so uh, he is next week but he doesn't play hockey okay um you guys are great thank you for listening thank you and we'll talk to you guys soon bye